Hi, I'm Andrew Bracey and I'm here for Creative Careers in Medicine. In this interview series, we hear from doctors about all kinds of exciting things they're doing to take charge of their careers, broaden their medical horizons, and forge their own creative paths. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Dinesh Palipana. Midway through his medical degree, Dinesh was involved in a catastrophic motor vehicle accident in which he sustained a cervical spinal cord injury. He'd go on to make history, becoming only the second person in Australia with quadriplegia to graduate medical school and the first in Queensland to become a medical intern. As a result of his experiences, Dinesh has since become an advocate for inclusivity both in medicine and in workplaces more generally. Dinesh was the Gold Coast Hospital and Health Services Junior Doctor of the Year in 2018, and earlier this year, he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia in recognition of his services to medicine. He's an incredible person. I hope you all enjoy our chat. Before we get to that conversation, though, I need to remind you all once again about CCIM 2019. That's the Creative Careers in Medicine 2019 Symposium. It's happening over two jam-packed days on the Gold Coast, August 3rd and 4th. There'll be TEDx-style talks, workshops, one-on-one career counselling, medical careers expo. There's already a bunch of really great speakers lined up, including today's podcast guest, Dinesh Palapana. As well as all these talks, there's creative classes you can take. You can also learn from those who have been there and done it so that you too can get your side business going, kickstart your startup and take all those great ideas you've got and make them happen. So again, that's CCIM 2019, August 3rd and 4th on the Gold Coast. For all the details and to register, go to creativecareersinmedicine.com. And of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. So to our interview today, Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Now, as well as becoming Queensland's first medical intern with quadriplegia, he's also completed an advanced clerkship in radiology at Harvard. He lectures at Griffith University, where he completed his own medical degree. And before he'd done any of that, he'd already completed a law degree. He's a co-founder of Doctors with Disabilities Australia, an organisation that aims to create a network or space in which doctors with impairments or disabilities can support one another. And that also works to raise awareness of the issues around working with a disability and advocates for improved access to clinical workplace opportunities. So here he is, Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Dinesh, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've given our listeners a bit of an overview of your journey um, through your training and into professional medicine and all that's entailed for you. I wanted to start first um, by talking a little bit about your life before medicine because you just you at that point you had just finished a law degree um, then immediately took the dive into uh, a medical degree which as our listeners would agree is no simple adventure in itself it clearly takes a lot of ambition drive and, and, and determination to choose these kinds of challenges so i'm interested was there something about your childhood or upbringing um, your parents perhaps that, that formed you into someone who was so keen to test and challenge yourself were you always ambitious in that way as a child as a kid well, I think there are probably a couple of factors um, that form the answer to that question. One is that uh, my motivation behind medicine um, came from a fairly unique place, I suppose, where you know I didn't I didn't grow up wanting to be a doctor, and um, I had a lot of different ideas about 
what I wanted to do mm. when I was growing up, and I think that's probably normal for everyone. Yeah, sure. But when I was when I was in law school, I um, started. You know, I, I went through this period where I was feeling different, and I, that snowballed and snowballed and snowballed, and I eventually became diagnosed with depression and anxiety and panic attacks and also agoraphobia at right. the very later stage of it. So that, that was a really dark period in my life. You know, the, at the moment, I am sometimes trapped in my body um, in that I'm physically mm. limited, but those days I was trapped in my mind, and I think that is a harder thing to deal with sometimes. So that really got me thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and what was important to me. And I think that period in my life really broke me down into, you know, the fundamentals of who I was. And that's when I decided to do medicine. So this so, is during, sorry to butt in, this is during this um, is the during period. law school. Well, yeah, yeah, during law school. So. Yeah, so this is about halfway through. Right. Um, so, you know, that that was... Probably, in retrospect, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it helped me find my purpose and passion. Mm. So, you know, I often think that depression and anxiety are probably, you know, there, there are organic causes and there are other things that cause it, but a part of it, at least for me, was just finding my purpose in life. So once I went through that and I decided to do medicine, it you know, it, it, the rest just came naturally. It was something I wanted to do. But the second thing is, I, my mom has always been a really strong force in my life. Right. In that she always encouraged me to seek every opportunity and she never really saw barriers in anything I wanted to do. So even when I was growing up, um, to when I'm an adult, she's still a big part of my life today. Mm. After I had the car accident, she's you know, a huge influence on my life. She's been there for me every day. She's encouraged me to get back to medicine and all this stuff. So I've, I've had that influence in my life that's really made me not see barriers in anything I wanted to do. So she's really made me, you know, she's molded me to believe mm. that anything in this world as possible. So I think those are the two reasons that, you know, if I could pick any two things, sure. those two are the reasons how, um, about how I got into medicine and how I've ended up here. And how about, like, what was that sort of transition like? I mean, it sounds like from what you were just saying, like you were you were enjoying yourself, you were finding that it was yeah. a good fit for you. I mean, what was, what was your yeah. um, path shaping up like at that stage and what were your goals as you saw them at that point? So, I mean, when I made up my mind, I, I wanted to get into medical school. That mm. was, you know, that, I wanted to make that happen no matter what. Yep. And I think when you find a goal or a purpose that really resonates with your soul, the rest of it falls into place. You know, you, you're not, suddenly you're no longer really working. You're just doing something that you enjoy. So the energy that you can put into it, I think, multiplies significantly. So for me to get into medical school then was just a matter of putting in the time every day and pursuing it. Um, and that that's, you know, I busted my butt to finish law school and then study for the 
med school entrance exam and all that stuff. So yeah. um, I made it across the line. Starting medicine was a little bit more challenging, I think, initially for someone without a science background. Right. Um, you know, because a lot of my colleagues in the first year of medical school were from, you know, biomedical science sure. or other science background. But as you progress into the second year and then especially third year, I think things started to equalize and level the playing field. Were you having so, to do sort of extra things outside of, out of that to sort of try and catch up a little bit or were you just sort of, you were able to find well, the program and it sort of brought you to where you needed to be? I think I just, there were just little extra bits and pieces that I needed to clarify. Right. You know, for example, some of the basic science things that came up in the first and second year, uh, particularly the first year actually would come naturally or would mm. be assumed knowledge for some of my colleagues. Whereas for me, I needed to go back and read a bit more about right. those fundamentals. So it, it was it was a little bit trickier, yeah. And so what were you saying is you're, I mean, once you were, you know, this is all prior to the accident, you were, you were starting to, yeah. you know, feel like you were catching up and you were really enjoying it. What was your sort of, did you have yeah. any sort of career aspirations or goals at that point? I don't think it was that clear. You know, right. I was enjoying being in medicine. I was enjoying being a medical student. I had a few ideas. Like, um, I must say that my attention span is pretty short. <laughs> so I, I think I was um, drawn to things that, um, you know, that sort of suited my personality. And I had an interest in things like trauma and emergency and right. trauma surgery, that sort of thing. Um, but more the acute side of medicine for sure those days. And then, of course, you had the accident. Do you mind briefly sort of yeah. explaining how, how it happened and what the injuries were that you sustained as a result of yeah. that um, car accident? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's probably a, a good time to be talking about this because just recently I caught up with the firefighters that attended to the accident. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I had some really, you know, we we had some really good chats, and that must have been quite that event. must have been quite amazing. To yeah, hear, to great. hear their their experiences of the same thing that, that 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 sort of changed your life as well. Exactly, and then nine years later, it um, clarified a few things for me actually. So, what happened was I was driving um, on a on a highway. It was probably about 8 p.m. It was the 31st of January 2010, so you never forget right. the date and yeah. time these things happen. But uh, it had been raining that day. It was a bit dark, and I was it was actually a perfectly boring normal drive. But I, I remember seeing something a little bit shiny on the road, but it was too late to avoid it. I didn't really think it was anything big. Right. But as soon as I hit it, my car lost control completely. It started sliding all over the road, and there was just no way I could get control of it again. And it ended up mounting an embankment that was on the side of the road, and it came back down, and the nose just hit the tarmac. And how fast were you going at this point? 100. Right. 112 meters per hour. Right. And then just started flying through the air, nose to tail. And, um, you know, by that point, I knew it was, uh, I knew I was done. So uh, I stopped being scared and just uh, thought about enjoying it. That was actually the thought that went through my head. 
and I thought, I'm just going to think of this like a roller coaster now. So um, the car flipped and flipped and flipped, and then it landed. But when it landed, that was the point where I realized the worst had happened because I couldn't move and right. I couldn't feel my legs and I couldn't move my fingers. So I don't even know how to describe it. It was horrifying. You know, it's, it's, it's a feeling of absolute dread and, you know, it's, it's almost sickening because you're, you're in a position that you know that you can't escape anymore yeah and you know that the worst thing has happened yeah and you know that your life's changed forever so and there's no taking it, it back was, yeah and there's no taking it back exactly and you don't know what will happen to you um <laughs> so interestingly the um when i was talking to the firemen that attended the scene they told me that their fire truck when they were approaching the scene also lost control really and yeah and they flew past my car and had to reverse back up to it to get to me. So there, there would have been something on the road that which caused that. But they never. That's never um, been made clear. That's never been identified. Even they weren't able to nah, sort of shed light on that. No, no, right. no, I don't think anyone knows what it was. Right. But um, they also told me that when they came up to the car, I told them that I've likely had a spinal cord injury so they said that uh, it's very rare for someone to diagnose themselves when they approach the vehicle <laughs> um but you know those guys were great yeah um they were, yeah they were fantastic so i was spending um you know i was taking in the ambulance which was another funny story because in the ambulance was a guy uh who lectured us Oh, really? Emergency medicine and retrieval. Yeah, he, just a few weeks earlier. So he was in the ambulance. And, um, you know, I was taken to the Princess Alexandra Hospital where I spent seven months as a patient. Right. Um, incidentally, that's gone full circle. And later this year, I'll be starting work there as a doctor. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny how... How these things work out. out. Yeah. Yeah. So, what so was that? What was that period of your life like for you in terms of how you were perceiving your life now panning out? I mean, were there any initial thoughts that you know that might have been it for your medical career, or were you already immediately asking those questions like, "Okay, here's where I am now. How do I make this work so I can still um, complete yeah. my studies?" Well, I don't think there was not a single minute, not a single second that passed where I didn't want to go back to medicine. Right. No. Not once. Um, you know, I had doubts sometimes about whether it could be done and how I could do it, and I had fears, but there was not a minute where I didn't want to come back. Um, but, you know, with a spinal cord injury, there are so many other things that come into play, like my family fell apart and our finances fell apart and... You know, you have all these other psychosocial challenges as well. Um, and just, you know, and, and you've got the mobility challenges. And it's not just a paralysis either physically. You know, every single part of your body, you know, your skin, um, cardiovascular system, digestive system, respiratory system, everything is affected. And um, you have to sort of try to get back to some sort of stability with all those things. 
So it took a lot of time just to deal with those things and get to a place where I was ready to come back to medical school. Um, so, you know, it, it took seven months in hospital and a subsequent four years for me to get to the point where I made the dive uh, back in, yeah. So the accident happened in 2010 and it was 2015 when I started back. Right. And so who were the voices, I mean, by the what you were saying earlier, obviously your mum was a, a huge figure in that period mm-hmm. as well. Who were the other voices, um, you know, who were encouraging you? I mean, were there fellow students yeah. around you? Is anyone, any of the teachers that were involved in your, your training, uh, family, friends, that kind of stuff? Who who was the sort of people that were, because yeah. it must, I mean, I, I get the impression you definitely didn't do this alone. Yeah, no, definitely not. So, you know, my mum obviously was a very big force. Um, I had some close friends. It's funny because I realized that I've made some very, very close friends that have only known me in this physical form. Um, and that's a weird thought because they've, they've never known me any other way. So I've made some really, really close friends that were supportive of doing this. I had some Friends, you know, I went to school with and a couple that I went to medical school with that was sort of supportive as well, you know, in all sorts of different ways, just encouraging me with medicine, but helping out in, you know, other parts of life as well that I really needed some help in. Um, And also the medical school, so the dean and the sub-dean, and there were some other staff there that were very supportive um, in me coming back. So... All that um, made a huge difference in making this happen. Um, there were some naysayers as well. You know, I had I had people that say, "Look, don't don't bother, don't try, go back to the law, go back to doing something else." But this is probably not worth the effort. But um, I've come to realize over the last few years that. You, it's it's a good thing to take advice from a broad range of people because it increases the amount of information that you have to make a decision. But at the end of the day, you're the only one accountable for the decisions that you make. So, you know, I thought if I get to the end of my life, I have to live with this decision of not going to medical school or going to medical school. And um, I just decided to give it a shot. So that's what we did and you were only the second person with quadriplegia to graduate from medical school in australia and and the first to work um in queensland as a medical intern now on the yeah. on the doctors with disabilities australia website for for our listeners that's an yeah. organization that dinesh eventually co-founded which we'll speak a bit more about um shortly the organization site highlights the kinds of things that can be achieved by doctors with impairments or disabilities by making, quote, reasonable adjustments to the environment or the use of technological, uh, technological aids. I'm curious um, not only about the kinds of adjustments that you had to make around your quadriplegia, but also what kinds of support and guidance that was there for you. As, as I said, yeah. there were not a lot of people there. There weren't many people who had, at that stage, done what you were setting out to do. Um, yeah. And you were, were you able to seek advice from others who'd gone down that path yeah. through, through other, you know, whether it was through other connections, um, whether it was social media networks or, you know, or was it just sort of very much sort of you having to make up your own way? Okay, no one 
no one's going to be able to tell me the best way to do this. I've got to work it out for myself and just try and see what works. Well, at the time, having someone go through it before me, so number one, which was uh, Harry Eamon, who is a rehab specialist now, um, that really helped because he told me about how to do things and some tips and tricks. He, Harry um, is one of the people that one of your co-founders at the um, at, exactly yeah, at Doctors with Disabilities yep. Australia. Yep. Disabilities, yeah. Yep. So he, he's he's a lot more senior to me, mm-hmm. um, but he you know he really helped me figure out a few troubleshooting things on how to do it, um, and we've become really good friends now as a result as well. But there in you know in Australia we were a bit isolated in figuring things out. Um, there were some examples from the US and US mainly actually, but uh, you know, information was a bit hard to come by and there are some structural differences as well. Sure. But having someone travel that path before definitely helps. But there were I think when all of us when we set out to do this, there were a couple of things that we tried to keep in mind. And one is to maintain the integrity of what we were doing because you know, I didn't want to just get through taking the easy road or taking shortcuts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted my I wanted my uh, journey and my qualifications to be just as valid as anyone else. Yeah. So not just it, some it, kind of feel um, good token exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to earn it. So I um you know, even for exams, the the clinical exams I had some modifications. But we had an external observer and we had a lot of oversight to make sure that it was all above board right. and all, you know, all equitable compared to the other students. So um, I, didn't, I tried not to you know, take any shortcuts really, but just the right amount of support to get through um, properly. But um, funnily enough, most of the challenges don't really come from the practice of medicine itself. It comes from other things around life. So, you know, it takes me a fair while to get ready in the morning. Mm. Um, It can be up to a couple of hours. So that means, you know, if I start a shift at 7.30 a.m., I usually have to get up at 4.30 a.m. Right. So it it can be a bit more time-consuming. So it's all those things, like that's affected by the spinal cord injury that makes it a bit more tricky. Not, yeah. not so much the medicine itself. And how about um, in your how about in your day to day, like when you are at work, um, what sort of yeah. adjustments are you making around um, in the hospital? Well, in the emergency department, which is where I work at the moment, um, I can see ninety percent of patients independently. Um, so it's really if they require a certain procedure um, like maybe suturing or a rectal exam or something else where um, I can, you know, a colleague might help out. But I try to be a bit more selective with my patients as well to try to predict the ones that will need it so I can just pick up someone else. So do you, you maintain that continuity and control of the situation as well? Exactly. Um, and emergency departments don't have a shortage of patients of different varieties. So sure. there's definitely enough people to be seen under every circumstance. I, um, I'm going into radiology and we'll have a 
focus on diagnostic radiology and that's you know that's really that's not a very physical task yeah so i was gonna yeah i was gonna ask important. you a bit about that because i know you do have a major interest in radiology and and also spinal yeah. cord injury research as well perhaps we can talk about that in a minute i just wanted to ask you yeah, first absolutely. though just because we were you know talking on that on that topic of you know your day-to-day and, and in the hospital i mean is yeah. there have you encountered any sort of negative reaction or response during during your professional time so far whether it's from patients or colleagues who might question your ability to do that to do your job effectively no well not definitely not patients right i've not had a single patient actually um and you know by this point it's my third year so i probably would have interacted with thousands of patients by now yeah um so none of them and you know that that's actually really humbling, and I'm honoured to have come across these patients that I got to share the journey with, and they've been so good, um, and they've, you know, we've had a really good relationship, and my colleagues have been really good as well. The I've probably had two significant negative interactions, and that was with uh, when I was trying to get my internship, uh, which you know is guaranteed to all domestic graduating doctors but um you know i I struggled with to secure that in queensland and um it didn't really matter that there was someone before me either they said you know that what i was told was they're not taking that into account um and it would it's a separate matter so that that was very frustrating I've spent a lot of time in the emergency department here and they have welcomed me from the time I was a medical student. Um, so they've always had this... I, f- I find that um, some of the emergency physicians have this really unique attitude where they seem to uh, believe that anything is possible and they have a very lateral way of thinking. Right. And that's what I've had here. So they have a really good culture, a really inclusive culture, and I've felt welcome. So, look, like, while I've had a couple of negative experiences, overall, it's been a really good journey. Now, you mentioned earlier Dr. Harry Eamon, um, how he helped or gave you advice based on his own experience working with a disability. Dr. Eamon is a rehab medicine yeah. physician and specialist pain medicine physician based in Melbourne. You and he, along with uh, Dr. Hannah Jackson, who's a Hobart GP, um, she uses a manual wheelchair as well due to her own condition. The three of you established Doctors with Disabilities Australia. Yeah. How did that come about and what is the aim of, of this initiative? I mean, it, the whole thing was really founded from our own journey because I had some significant difficulties getting to where I am. Um, and, you know, other the other guys have faced their own challenges in getting to where they are. So we recognize the need for uh, two main things, I suppose. One is to advocate for structural change with policy and institutions to make it easier for doctors with disability to be trained and to work. And the second thing really is just to share experiences and stories because storytelling um, and sharing these journeys show that it's possible um, and it influences the policymakers 
Secondly, it also just makes life easier for others who are trying to undertake the same journey, you know, just simple things like tips and tricks and how to structure your life around work and study. So the, those are the two reasons why we did it. And um, I think we've really made some headway in the last couple of years in doing different things to make it work. So, you know, some of the medical schools have started rethinking the way they admit people with disability. Um, we've really uh, fought against um, this inherent requirements document that the medical deans of Australia and New Zealand developed. So that document, you know, is very specific about the physical attributes that a doctor or a medical student should have. And if it was strictly applied to me, I wouldn't be able to practice medicine today. So we've advocated against things like that. And um, at the moment, the Australian Medical Association of Queensland is developing a position statement on inclusivity in medicine, which is a really, really nice step. In addition to that, we also collaborate with, for example, I'm um, talking at a general medical council uh, conference soon. Right. which is to be in the UK, um, and they're doing a lot of work around inclusivity in medicine. So there's there's a lot of activity and a lot of progress happening in this area. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you know, medicine, we serve a really diverse group of people. We serve people with disability. We serve people you know, of different ethnicities. We serve such a diverse range of people. And it's really important to have those lived experiences embedded in the profession. Um, and it brings a different and valuable perspective, not just um, for the patient-facing side, but it helps us troubleshoot some of the challenges in the profession itself. At this point in the conversation, there was a brief pause as Dinesh needed to change rooms. Um, it turned out someone had booked the, the same meeting room and he'd been using and uh, they needed the space. When we picked things back up, I asked him about his organisation, Doctors with Disabilities Australia, and what kinds of changes he and his co-founders had seen and experienced in terms of employment opportunities and attitudes, not only since they began their advocacy work, but over the entire course of their medical careers. And I think we're chipping away at it. And I think we've started to make some significant headway in changing it. And look, a lot of it is perception. Um, a lot of people think about different barriers and different things that could come up. But it turns out that a lot of those things end up just being a perceptual problem. Um, one of the... Um, I worked with... As an intern, I worked with one of the consultants and um, I remember him having a chat to me at the end of my term and he said that he was, he had some, he had some thoughts when I started, uh, when he heard that I was coming to his service. But he said that by the end of the term, his thoughts about what medicine should be had changed. Um, and he said that it was, wasn't what he expected. And I think that's probably like, and it was great of him to say that. And I think that's, that forms a lot of the issues around this. So with 
disability in medicine and disability in employment generally, I think they're perceptual problems of what barriers people have from the employer side rather than actual problems themselves. So I think that we're really starting to change some of these things. And our cousins from the United States, they had a huge social media campaign called Docs with Disabilities. Um, and that sort of activity and the sort of storytelling and people with disabilities in medicine is really having an effect. And I hope that it will change things in the next few years. You just I want to pick up on that. What you, the, some of the numbers you said, you know, that that this is not a small, um, a, a, a small sort of issue. Like some of the, one of the stats that I, I saw on on the, the on your website talks about how I think it was one in five doctors identify as having some form of impairment or disability. Were you surprised yeah. by that ratio yourself when you when you found that one? Yeah, yeah, it's it's significant, and I think a lot of people are afraid to disclose these things for fear of repercussions but um yeah it surprised me as well so but i mean that that's probably reflective of the population generally too you know the majority of the general general population um but i think uh uh you know people could probably use more support um in medicine for different disabilities and certainly with significant disabilities like a spinal cord injury or quadriplegia, I think um, there are there are certain perceptual barriers that we need to overcome as well. But it's the same thing with mental health issues, you know. It's yeah. uh, still yeah. taboo sometimes in medicine and we need to start breaking those things down. So in addition to all that we've just talked about, um, you wear a bunch of other hats as well. I'll just rattle through them. So I'll do. I'll try and rattle through them quickly. So apologies if I if I leave any out or if. I, but you're. I understand you're the the Gold Coast University Hospitals representative in the um, Australian Medical Association Queensland's uh, Council of Doctors in Training. You're yeah. the scientific. You're a member of the scientific advisory committee for the Pericross Spinal Research Foundation. You're also an adjunct member of the Gold Coast Orthopedic Research Education Alliance. And you're also the <laughs> the ambassador, uh, sorry, a member of the ambassador council at the Hopkins Centre. How on earth do you find the time for all of this, and what drives you to, to be involved in all these different roles? Uh, well, first of all, I don't have a girlfriend, so I don't have <laughs> a bit more time on my hands. But um, a lot of those things are like you know they're, they're personal interests, so and a lot of them interlink as well. Right. Um, so look. Spinal cord injury research, you know, I would love to see the day where we can restore more function in people. So the spinal cord injury research work that I'm involved in is to do that. And, you know, what what, what better goal is there for someone with a spinal cord injury? And I think I'm very lucky to be placed in the right geographical location and the right profession yeah. with the right skill set to be a part of that. So that, that that comes naturally. And I think, you know, the advocacy roles like in the AMAQ and everything mm. else also stems from my own experiences and just seeing what doctors, junior doctors have to go through sometimes and the struggles that they face within the system. Um, so that's, you know, that, that just, uh, it, all, it all sort of fits in naturally to who I am and mm. what I want to do. And um, they're just fun things, so I just you know, make the time do it. Incidentally, I just uh, 
I'm about to start my shift in the ED, but I just finished. Uh, I'm doing some practical legal training with the hospital's legal team. So I was there for a couple of hours this morning. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I mean, do you see sort of, yeah. given, given your background in law, or do you, do you see sort of a medical yeah. legal sort of stint or some kind of a you know, thing that you, whether, you, whether that's something that you start to specialize in or something you do on the side perhaps or, or do or take some time doing that? Well, is, is medical law? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe in the future. But you know, I think. Um, yeah, maybe in the future. I, th- mm. I think what's really important is that we have this idea of what a medical career should look like traditionally. Mm. I think we have to start breaking some of those ideas down. Um, but also, I think that life is really short, you know, and things change in a second, which is what I personally experienced. And what keeps you going is um, knowing that you've made the most of every single day. And that kept me going up to that point. And I think you still got to do that. And as a, um, as a doctor, there are so many things that you can do with so much flexibility. And you should use that and try and do things that are fun and interesting and beneficial to the community. Um, so that's really how I want to take my career forward. I just want to keep doing interesting things that benefit everyone. Great to chat there with Dinesh Palapana incredible guy so i'm very grateful that he took the time for us Uh, of course you can catch him at the creative careers in medicine 2019 symposium on the gold coast august 3rd and 4th he'll be one of the guest speakers up there i'm sure that's going to be a full house so you want to get in early once again to register for that event ccim 2019 go to creativecareersinmedicine.com where you can get all the info about the event and of course you can follow ccim on facebook and instagram thanks for listening to the podcast This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. Lots more interviews like this one in the pipeline, so stay tuned.